0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Very quickly, before I begin this morning, I want to just remind you of this the exciting week we've got coming up. Uh, if we could bring up the schedule, please, for our missions conference. It's in there somewhere. This is just an exciting week for us. I I really look forward to this week all year round because it's just an opportunity for us to, first of all, celebrate all the Lord has done, and he's done some pretty incredible things, but it's also exciting for me because we get to now look forward to all he wants to do and kind of how he's led his church, and so we set aside these few days, really the end of this week, to, to celebrate and to be excited about and think about all the Lord is doing in missions, and so we have Global Impact Conference beginning this Wednesday. And I'm excited to tell you that our missions banquet is sold out. We don't have any more seats. And so if you didn't get your ticket, I'm sorry. Uh, I really would love for you to be there. We'll do it again next year. But if you can't come to the missions banquet, and by the way, if you've got your tickets, I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do and what you're going to see. That's going to be a really neat night for us at Delavant. But we have other opportunities. You should have received when you came in just a little sheet like this, meet and greet. These are opportunities we give you during the course of this week. The whole reason we do this week like this is to give you opportunities to hear what the Lord's doing and to think about how he wants to use you. That's the reason we do it. And so we give you multiple opportunities to hear about the Lord and how he's at work and hear from our missionaries. And so we've got some other opportunities if you can't come to the banquet Wednesday night. We've got a Thursday morning luncheon noon in our fellowship hall here at the church. It's free. Just show up. You don't have to sign up. Wes and Lori Wilcox from Zambia will be there. They'll go into some depth about what they're doing at the orphanage. Answer your questions. That's Thursday at lunch. If you work in town and have to take a lunch break, come here and take it. We'll get you in at noon. We'll get you out by one. We'll we'll stay true to your lunch break so you'll be able to come and enjoy that and listen to them. And then Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night are all found on this sheet. If you're interested in any of these locations, Honduras, Guatemala, Zambia, there's a place for you to go to meet people that have already gone to ask questions. The missionaries that are heading these trips up will literally be in these homes and you can ask them any question you want. And then let me just speak to the person just for a second that doesn't feel called to go. You don't, you, you don't really find yourself anywhere in this mix yet. I just want to encourage you, even if you don't really feel called to go or not really sure if the Lord's going to send you anywhere Go to one of these just to celebrate what the Lord is doing. Just come and listen and take in and enjoy the fellowship. You'll get some free food. We're going to feed you wherever you go. You don't have to pay for it. There'll be food Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. You can come to all three if you want. I'll be at all three. I'd love for you to be at all three. Come and listen and just celebrate what the Lord's doing. And then Sunday, and by the way, we're not signing up for trips. These are just for you to get to know things. So if you've got any inclination or desire to go or any interest, go to one of those nights. And then Sunday morning, next Sunday morning... Taste the Nations. We're going to have food and a little bit of cultural experience for you, for the different places we've gone. If you've ever wondered what uh, authentic Indian cuisine tastes like, you can try it. You may not like it, but we're going to let you try it. If you've ever wondered what they eat in Zambia or Guatemala or all the places we go, this is an opportunity for you to do that. And then next Sunday morning, during our worship service, we'll do a missions offering. We've done this over the last several years, and we're going to ask you to give money this year specifically to go towards scholarships for people that can't afford to go or need some help going, and also for people that are going a little more long-term. We've got more and more people now that are kind of stepping out and saying, a week's not enough for me, I'd like to go longer. The money we give next Sunday morning will help support those people in kind of an ongoing missions opportunity, okay? So you be in prayer for this week. For all the Lord's going to do and for all he wants to do for 2017, I'm excited. We've got more trips next year than we've ever had, more locations than we've ever had, uh, more people already expressing interest. I think next year's going to be an incredible year for us. Uh, You be in prayer about how the Lord wants to use you. Now let me pray for us and we're going to begin with the sermon this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for the calling you've placed in our lives. Lord, You literally have sent us into the world to accomplish great things. So, Lord, I pray that as we think about your calling, as we think about our mission here on earth, we would be open, Lord, and obedient to whatever you've called us to do. Father, set aside the fears and the uncertainty in our lives. Father, give us the courage and the strength to to walk with faithfulness down the path you've called us to walk, do great things through us, impact your kingdom, Lord, through our work. And, Father, I pray for our time this morning as we open the truth of your word. Just speak clearly to us through the power of the Spirit. Can we be transformed, Lord, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just a a side note before we jump into the text this morning. I'm excited. Next Sunday morning we're going to begin another sermon series that I've entitled, "Sent." And we're going to spend several weeks examining scripture that talks about, let me say it like this. I believe to you that I can prove biblically that every Christian has been sent to this planet to accomplish specific things for Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe I can make the case biblically and I'm going to try to do so over the next many weeks. That he's called you to a specific purpose. Figuring out what that purpose is and accomplishing it ought to be your life's goal. And so we'll begin that sermon series next Sunday morning called "Sent." This morning we're going to look at something a little bit different. God's doing some neat things here in our church. You've already heard about missions. Growth is happening. People are being baptized. The Lord is being honored. We're excited about all that's happening. And one of the things that comes with kind of health and growth are a lot of new families. And so we've been really blessed over the last really couple years and the last several months to be blessed with a a lot of families, a lot of young families. And as our church grows, the more we grow, the more ministry opportunities we have. And the more ministry opportunities we have, the more people we need involved in leadership. And so one of the things we do at our church, one of the ways in which we try to minister to the people of this church is through our deacon ministry. And so as our church grows... As more and more people come, as we're faithful to preach the word and to go, God sends us more and more people. And as more and more people come, the more growth we see, the more deacons we need to meet that challenge. And so we're at a place in our church where we need to ordain more deacons. Now this is something we've kind of been thinking about and praying about and the deacon leadership and the deacon body has been thinking about and talking about for several months, and we're to the point now we're going to kind of begin this process of ordaining deacons into the Fellowship of Rosemont Baptist Church. Now, this is a long process for us. It's not going to happen in a week or even in a month or in a few months. There's a, there's a long process that will take place. And as we walk through the process, we're going to be very clear with you what your role is and what our responsibility is as a church. But I want to give you, before I delve into the text this morning, kind of the big picture. Here's basically where we're going as a church. I'm gonna preach this sermon this morning that'll challenge you and kind of get you thinking in the right direction about who we should call as deacons. But the process will be this. You as a church body will be called to nominate qualified men to become deacons. So we'll begin that process next Sunday morning and you'll have about a month. We're gonna give you plenty of time to pray about it, think about it. You can nominate as many people as you want. After we've received all the nominations from the church, the deacon leadership and the deacons will take those names and will go through a kind of a vetting process. The process of prayer, questioning, interviews, training. There's a long process we go through and we're going to talk about this morning. We do it because it's found in the text. It's what the scripture commands us to do. After we've gone through that process, there'll be an ordination where we'll, we'll ordain a number of new deacons into our fellowship. Now again, this is a long process. Many, many months. But I want to begin the process this morning because this is where you come in play and you're really the beginning of this process and your role in this process is extremely important because you're called to nominate men that can faithfully serve. So here's the question I want you to begin to answer this morning and I think the text will answer it for us. It ought to kind of start your mind working in this direction. Here's your question. Who should I nominate as a deacon? Who's the, the, the man in this church or the men in this church that I should nominate to become the next deacon or the next few deacons at Rosemont Baptist Church? Now, you're already probably thinking about certain people, and that's good. I want you to do that. Maybe you've already kind of put some, some qualifiers in your mind and you're already thinking about some qualifications. Maybe you're thinking, I should find somebody that's a successful businessman, somebody that runs his company well and understands how to manage and lead. Or maybe you're thinking, I need to find somebody that's got a certain level of education, that's that's very intelligent and smart, has gone and done a lot of things in school. Maybe I need to think of somebody that's very popular in our community and and people look to as a leader and they're well-known and they kind of have a lot of influence and and a lot of power. And I would say to you, as you kind of work through your list, as, as delicately and as kindly as I can, none of the things I just mentioned matter. They're unimportant. He say, what do you mean they're unimportant? I shouldn't find somebody that's qualified as a businessman or a leader or intelligent or great education. What I'm saying to you is when we make this decision, we're going to do it based on the word of God. Very clearly. And God gives us in his word, just laid out, we're going to walk through this morning, the clear qualifications of who should be chosen as a deacon. In our church and in any other church. And so as we think through this morning, the process of nominating and choosing deacons, we're going to see very clearly that there is a list, and I'm going to give you five this morning, very clear qualities or qualifications that should be found in the men that we nominate to serve as deacons at Rosemont. Now, if you wanted to kind of delve in a little bit more and think through this a little bit more, you could go back and read Acts chapter 6. I'm going to... I'm not going to do that this morning, but Acts chapter 6 is kind of the the history of the first calling of the deacons. There was a problem that rose rose up within the the church. They couldn't get food to to the widows and some of the orphans. And so they called this group of men, this faithful group of men, basically to serve and to help the church meet these needs. And so if you were to read through Acts 6, you would see that deacons primarily are called to serve. In fact, that word in the Greek means servant. That's what a deacon is called to do. But a deacon is a servant, a spiritual leader of the church, called to protect the church, to spread the word, to to produce unity. And so as we think about who a deacon ought to be, I want to just kind of delve in this morning to this text in chapter 3. And I want to look at some very specific qualifications we ought to be thinking about as we pray about nominating deacons at Rosemount. Now look with me, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, a quick overview, and then we're going to look right into the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, if you were to look in your scripture, mine says overseers and deacons. they are kind of two main groups found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7 are overseers. We're going to go there in just a second. And then verses 8 through 13 are deacons. So you've got kind of these two groups These two names, these two positions that we find within churches. And every church needs to have both of these positions. The first one is the overseer. The second is the deacon. Now, we're going to get to the deacon in just a minute. We're going to spend the the bulk of our time on deacons. But I want you to understand something that's kind of important before we go there. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. I don't think we have this one on the screen, but let me just read it to you. Here are the words of Paul. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, that word overseer has got a lot of different meanings. In fact, the original word in the Greek is translated several different ways throughout the New Testament. It's translated as elder, it's translated as bishop, it's translated as pastor. And so different denominations and different churches kind of make different distinctions and have different titles for the overseer, the person that's kind of in charge, or the people that are in charge. Baptist churches, for the most part, use the word pastor. There are churches that use the word elder. You're familiar with different denominations that use the word elder. But even if they use the word elder, they would say that the pastor among them is kind of the chief elder. And there are different ways of explaining it, different ways of thinking about it. I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning thinking through the different words and how we can clarify that. I do instead want to spend some time thinking about this idea of deacon. Because we're given two roles, two groups kind of two places of leadership within the New Testament church, the pastor, the overseer, and the deacon. And so beginning in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, there are clear listings and clear qualifications. And so as we begin to think through this process of nominating, choosing men that will serve, we should choose men based on these qualities. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, we have it on the screen. You can read along with us in your text as well. Deacons likewise, right, because we've already been thinking about pastors and overseers in the first seven verses. Deacons likewise are to be be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be worthy of respect, Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy and everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you nominate somebody over the next several weeks, you need to use these qualifications. Here's number one. Deacons must be worthy of respect. Now, you're going to notice something as we kind of go through this text together this morning. I'm going to use the same phrases that the Word of God uses. I'm not going to doctrine or change them or do anything with them to, to alter their meaning. I'm going to use the words that the Scripture uses. And so the first thing that the Bible tells us is that a deacon must be a man worthy of respect. Now, let me say something I think is, is sometimes missed when we think about deacons and even pastors, First Timothy 3. One of the things we need to say about a pastor and a deacon is that this person, whoever is chosen, the the, the person, the the man or the men that are chosen for this role as a deacon, not only should be these things now, but we should hold this person accountable to continue to meet these qualities for years and years to come. In other words, just because you've been called to be a deacon or even a pastor, for that matter, And just because you've met these qualifications at one point in your life does not mean you're always qualified to serve. I think we miss that sometimes. It's not as if you're chosen once and then we can just kind of ignore your life forever and you can do anything you want and continue to serve. So one of the responsibilities of the body of Christ is to hold the leadership accountable for meeting the qualifications the Lord has given us in Scripture. So I would say to you just from my standpoint as the pastor verses 1 through 7 I should meet the qualifications in those first 7 verses and if I don't the church should hold me accountable that should be your responsibility. We should call men in verses 8 through 13 that are respectful and can be called deacons and meet these qualifications and then we we should hold them responsible for living their lives in such a way that they continue to meet these qualifications. Because we're not told they get to do it once as long as they meet the criteria at one point in their life. We're told that this is the way they should live their lives ongoing. And so Paul gives us kind of three things here, three areas that help us understand respect. Pull verse 8 back up if you would for me, please. Paul gives us kind of three areas here. The first, he says we're to find men that are worthy of respect. They're sincere, first of all. They're not indulging in much wine, secondly. And they're not pursuing dishonest gain. If you want to find somebody that's worthy of respect, find a man that's honest, that doesn't pursue dishonest gain, that's not a drunkard, that's worthy of respect, that people look at him, they understand his character, they understand his life, they understand his integrity. They see a man that has kind of lived this and is continuing to live it even now. Now, the, the flip side of this coin is this people that lie are not respected. We know that. People that are drunkards are not respected. People that pursue dishonest gain are not respected. Paul says we need to look instead for a man of integrity. Now you know this saying, I'm going to give it to you and then we're just kind of think through it just for a minute. But the old saying is this, you can build integrity over a lifetime and lose it in a single moment. You know that, right? So we're looking for people that have demonstrated year in and year out integrity. Now, now we're not saying they're perfect. We're not saying they're, they're sinless. We understand that people make mistakes. But we're looking for people, for men, that have lived their lives with integrity that's just clear to everybody around them. Some of you guys will recognize the name Bill Buckner. When I use the word Bill Buckner, if you're a baseball fan... You know exactly who I'm talking about. Who knows who Bill Buckner is just for fun? I'm just curious. Some of the baseball fans? Okay. Some of you. Let me explain to you who, who, who Bill Buckner was. Bill Buckner was a first baseman in the mid-80s for the Boston Red Sox. Let me give you some of, the, some of the stats of his professional baseball career. He was an all-star multiple times. He won the batting title, which means he had the highest batting average for a year he played in over 2500 games, drove in over 1200 runs, batted almost 300 for his career. That's a that's a pretty high batting average for his entire career. This guy was a, was a fantastic player. But if you know the name, you guys that raised your hand about Bill Buckner, you don't remember Bill Buckner because of all his hits. You don't remember Bill Buckner because of his RBIs or because of his batting title or because of the all-star games he played in. You remember Bill Buckner because in the bottom of the 10th inning, game six, the 1986 World Series against the New York Mets, Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, guys, you remember those names, played for the Mets. Mets were fantastic that year. Very good. Everybody thought they were gonna win. Boston hadn't won a World Series at that point in, in decades. And so game six... Bottom of the 10th, Boston is leading, they're about to get the final out, win game six, win the World Series, a soft little ground ball to Bill Buckner at first base. He bends down to field a simple ground ball that that any kid playing in, in, uh, in lower level baseball could field. I could field, I'm not even a good fielder. He bends down to field the ball and as he's trying to come up to tag first base, the ball rolls right between his legs. Two runs score, the Mets win game six, go on to win game seven. Bill Buckner is forever known as the guy that let that ball roll between his legs. Now that's a terrible thing to remember about this guy because he was a fantastic player, but I've read articles about him and he said for years after that he would show up in Boston and people would boo him. This is a big deal, right? He had a lifetime of accomplishments. That one moment defined him. Isn't that interesting? I think it's a a good reminder for us the way that we live our lives and the decisions that we make. We can build our character in a lifetime, it takes one moment to lose it. We're looking for men of integrity. We're looking for men that make good decisions that are Christ-like, that have built this foundation of respect throughout their lives because these are the men we need to nominate. These are the men that have been called. These are the men that lead as deacons in our church. Now look at verse 9. Let's continue to think through this. So we built this foundation, a man that's respectful, a man that's, that's respected among the people. Verse 9. They must, again, this is another qualification, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Here's truth number two. Deacons must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. There it is, we're just using the text again. Deacons should be worthy of respect, first of all, men of integrity, men that live their life for Christ, that have demonstrated a lifetime of following and service to Him. number one. Number two, deacons need to hold to the deep truths of the faith. Now Paul uses two phrases here I want to think about just for a minute. The first one is the phrase deep truths of scripture. Now we're not talking, just to make sure we're clear on this, we're not talking about somebody that just has a a superficial understanding of the word of God. We're not talking about somebody that just kind of knows a few verses and can't really explain or has never spent a lot of time studying or or delving into the word of God. We're not talking about somebody who rarely seeks to look. Lord and rarely prays and rarely studies and understands his word. We're not talking about a man who doesn't think about the things of Lord. We're talking instead about a mature believer who understands the deep truths of scripture, a man that has studied the word of God, a man that spends time in prayer, a man that lives his life based on on the truth of the Word of God. If you're thinking about somebody that has a deep, abiding, profound understanding of the Word of God, you're looking for somebody that understands joy in the midst of suffering, for example. You're looking for somebody that understands hope in the midst of pain. You're understanding, you're looking at somebody that understands a, a peace that passes all understanding, a person that, that spends time in the word and guards his heart. In Jesus Christ. So Paul says we need to find somebody that's, that's got this deep understanding of Scripture first, but then he uses this interesting phrase there in verse 9 as well. Pull that back up for me, if you would, please. They must keep hold of the deep truth. See, it's not enough just to know them. The second thing they ought to do is hold on to that truth, really, for dear life. We need to nominate men, we need to call men to serve that are faithful that understand the word of God and that hold to their faith regardless of the circumstances. It's very easy to be happy and to serve the Lord when things are going well, isn't it? It becomes more and more difficult the harder life gets. Maybe you've had conversations with people that are going through a very difficult time and they say something like this, I don't know that I'm really doubting the Lord but my faith is wavering right now. Why would the Lord let me go through this? Why am I struggling with this? Why, why is this so hard for me? Why, why can't God work like I wanted to? We need men that understand, even in the very difficult times of life, even in the struggles of life, even, even when, when the world seems to kind of be crashing down around us, we need men that are willing, with everything they have, with their very lives, if necessary, to hold to the deep truths of Scripture. Those are the men that need to serve. We had the opportunity this week as a family to spend some time at Callaway Gardens. And one of our fun activities during that process was the the high ropes course, the treetop adventures. Anybody ever done something like that? Just raise your hand, I'm just curious. Okay, so you kind of know what this is like. If you've never done it, here's the way it works. They give you this this harness that's not real comfortable, men, but they make you put it on anyway and you have to cinch things up and whatever, right? You got to put it on, that's the way. And they've got this rope that's attached to it and they've got these two safety things, And so you climb up this tree, and the rule is you always have to have two safety things attached at all times. And if you unhook one to move, you keep the other one hooked in, then you unhook. So you've always got something attached as you go, and there are all sorts of elements up there. So you get up to the top of these trees, you're, you're 20, 25 feet up, and you, you walk across little boards, you know, you're holding on ropes, or you walk across a, like an airplane cable with two other airplane cables you're holding on to, and you're 25 feet up, but you've, you've always got this harness on, so there's this, there's this understanding in your mind that you're not going to fall, but your brain is screaming at you, you're 25 feet off the ground, you're walking on a little plank, you're about to fall, right? And so I found myself, as we're going through this, we kind of went slow. Me and me and Lydia kind of went together and we took our time. The others kind of took off and we just let them go. We kind of did our thing. And, and I found myself as I'm walking across these ropes and I'm, I'm walking across these elements, even though I know I'm not going to fall and I'm telling her she's not going to fall, I find myself kind of clutching these ropes pretty tight. You ever done that? And you don't even really notice it. All of a sudden you realize your hands are hurting a little bit and you're not really sure why. And you look down and your hands are white, your knuckles are white because you've been clenching them for, you know, And I had to kind of remind myself and take a little bit of a breath and just breathe and remind myself, I'm not going to fall, just relax, right? But when we think about holding on to the truths of Scripture, we need people that are going to hold on for dear life. That The the harder their life gets, the the more they clutch to the Word of God. Do you understand that? The more difficult the circumstance, the more they're going to hold to this. They're not going to set it aside for some self-help answer or some worldly advice. They're going to open the truth of God's word. They're going to apply that truth to their life. And the harder things are, the more they're going to clutch to this. Those are the men we need. We, We don't need men who are clutching to the things of life that the world says they need to clutch to. We don't need those men. We don't need men that clutch to the idea of money as if it's the most important thing. Or, or job, or status, or education, or you kind of fill in the blank. There are all sorts of things that we clutch to. There are all sorts of things that we hold to. There are all sorts of things in life that we hold dear. We need to find men that are willing to serve, that are going to hold to, clutch to the deep truths of faith. Now verse 10, let's continue. They, these are the, the men we're thinking about here that are qualified must first be tested. Then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Here's the third thing we're gonna do. Deacons must be tested. Deacons must be tested. There's a reason we're not just gonna nominate and those people all of a sudden become deacons. Why? Because the scripture commands us that they should be tested. There's a process they should go through so that we can test and make sure they actually are qualified to serve. So the kind of two ideas of testing we're going to go through. The first one is pretty obvious. The second one takes a little more work. Here's the first kind of means of testing. We're going to test these men over time by looking at their lives. That's how we test them. Right, you know if somebody's got integrity by examining their life. They've kind of got a body of work to look at. We're not looking for the guy that's been faithful for the last six months, although although we're going to celebrate that and be happy about that and encourage that man to continue to be faithful. We're not going to look for the guy who's faithful every other week. We're not going to look for the guy who had the mountaintop experience a couple years ago and has kind of been drifting since. We're going to look for the man that's faithful, that over time, week after week, month after month, year after year, demonstrates faithfulness in the Lord. So that's the first way we're going to test, by just looking at the body of work. The second way, a little more specifically, is we're going to test by the leaders of the church taking these men through a very specific process. So after they've been nominated... We'll sit down with them and we'll talk with them. We'll interview them. We'll ask them questions. We'll learn more about them. We'll hear about their salvation experience, about their growth in Christ, what the Lord's doing. We'll put them through a training process where they understand what they're called to do. And at the end of that process, if the deacon leadership and the the body of deacons still feels like, based on the truth of God's word, that these men are still qualified, at that point they'll be ordained. But there's a process we're going to go through. Why would you do that, Adam? Why would you spend all this time going through this and asking questions and, and, and testing them? Because Scripture tells us to. Period. <laughs> is, is there more efficient ways to do it? Maybe. Are, are, are there personality assessments we could give them? Possibly. Are there other things we could use? I guess. But we're going to do what God's Word says. We're going to test them. We're going to ask them hard questions. And we're going to be absolutely certain that when we finally present them to the church for ordination, these are men that meet the qualifications listed in Scripture. Now, verse 11, let's continue. We need to kind of wind this down. So, worthy of respect, number one, they got to keep hold of the deep truths of faith. They're going to be tested. Then, verse 11, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Here's truth number four. Deacons must be the husband of one wife. Deacons must be the husband of one wife. Now there are kind of two things I want you to notice that we can, kind of two truths we can pull from these verses Both of them are kind of clear, but there's a little debate about one, and we'll talk about it here in just a second. Here's here's the first thing we need to see. We would argue biblically that an ordained deacon has to be a man. Why would we say that? Because the scripture in verse 12 says a deacon must be the husband of but one wife. Now, setting aside what the world may say today about gender, we're going to stick to the centuries-old understanding that a husband is a man... A wife is a woman, and so when we make this decision about who's going to be a deacon, we're going to stick to the truth of God's word. This has to be a man. Why? Because the Bible says it's the husband of excuse me, of one wife. Now, the second thing is a little more debatable among different churches and denominations. People ask the question pretty regularly, what does it mean to be the husband of one wife? Now, I'll just kind of put this out. I don't have time this morning to go into a lot of detail. There's a lot that's been written there's a lot of other scripture we could look at. I would be happy to sit down with you and speak to you about this. If you have specific questions, I'd love to discuss this with you. But the practice of Rosemont Baptist Church, really since the beginning of our founding, has always been to not ordain men that have been divorced. That's how we started. That's how we've always lived. We, we understand and interpret that scripture. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3. That a man who's been divorced can't serve as a deacon. Now, let me just say something to you. I want to be very clear here. Am I saying that a man who's been divorced has bad character or is untrustworthy or doesn't have respect? No, I'm not saying any of those things. You know as well as I do, there are very godly men that have gone through divorces. I've struggled with those men myself. I've prayed with some of those guys. I've walked through that with some of those men. So it has nothing to do with their character or their love for the Lord or their faithfulness. All we're saying is scripture commands us to call a man that's never been divorced. We're going to hold to the truth of God's word. If you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk more in detail. But I need to finish up this morning. Now verse 12, the final thing we see. A deacon must be the husband of one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Here's truth number five. Deacons must manage their children and their household well. As we think about who we ought to nominate, as we think about who can serve as a deacon, we need to nominate men that manage their household well. Now look at that text again. I want you to pull verse 12 back up because it's interesting the way Paul phrases this. Let me define the word manage for you because it's found about midway through that verse The word manage means to control the movement or behavior of or to have charge of. But Paul doesn't just say they should manage the children and the household. There's a qualifier that goes with this word. Paul says a deacon must manage his children and his household what? Well. That's awfully important. What does it mean to manage our families well? Some people think to manage our families well means we need to have a lot of success and a lot of wealth and a lot of possessions. So some men judge themselves by how well they provide for their families financially and material. That's not what the word of God says. Some people think the family successful if they're popular or important in certain social circles. Some people think their family is successful and they've managed it well if their children reach a certain level of academic success. The better grades they are, the more successful they are. Some people think they've managed their family well if their children are very accomplished in certain sports or extracurricular activities. Now, let me just be clear. There's a place for those things. We're not saying those things are wrong. But we're saying when you place those things ahead of your service for the Lord and your love for Him, you've missed the teaching of God's Word. If you want to understand how a man can lead his family well, Scripture very simply teaches us that if you're going to be a godly leader, if you're going to be a godly husband, if you're going to manage your family well, very simply, you should teach your children and your family to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their strength, with all their mind, with all their soul. If you want to be successful with your family teach them to love the lord above all things. It doesn't mean there are other things that are wrong, it doesn't mean we can't do other things in this world, but your love for the lord dads should trump your love for baseball. Your love for the lord should trump your love for your vacation house. Your love for the lord should trump your career. Your your love for the Lord should trump the grades your kids make. (gasps) What? Now, am I saying I want our kids to fail? No. I want them to make good grades. But I'll tell you what I've always said about my kids. I want them to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength first. After that, we'll figure it out. There are far too many people that buy into the success of the world based on all these little things they want to check off a list and they put God at the end. We need leaders. We need families that teach their children and lead their families to love the Lord above all things. So who are we looking for? Did I put my mic back on. Sorry. We're looking for men that are worthy of respect, men that hold the deep truths of the faith, men that will be tested, men that are the husband of one wife, and men that manage their family well. Now here's your calling as we finish up this morning. You're gonna be called to nominate men that fit these qualifications. You need to begin to pray about it because I'll say this, stay with me, and I got another minute, stay with me. The biggest decisions churches ever make is who they choose for leadership. It just it just makes or breaks a church. It really does. You've seen it, I've seen it. If we choose men that are not godly, that are not qualified, that don't meet the the criteria given for Scripture, we're gonna struggle with that. If we choose godly men that are respected, that have been tested, that that fit these qualifications, our churches can, can continue to grow. We're gonna reach more people for Christ, we're gonna soar. Why? Because we've got godly leadership. So you pray, begin this process this morning about praying who you would nominate as a deacon here at Rosemont and we're gonna give him the praise, honor, and the glory for everything that he does through these men for years and decades to come. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the qualifications you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to to think about and to pray about who would serve. And Lord, just remind us of the importance of what we're going to do. The importance of the leadership that we call at this church, Father. The the importance of of finding godly men based on these qualifications of scripture, Father. So you just speak to our hearts. Lord, as we begin this process of prayer and study and, and seeking your will, you just speak very clearly to us. May we choose men that meet these qualifications that are honoring to you. And Father, when we do that, when we're obedient to your word, you bless us, Lord. You continue to guide us and give us direction. And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We want to give you the opportunity right now over the next few minutes. Why don't you just begin this process of your mind of praying. Just begin to pray about who the Lord would call you to nominate, who the Lord wants to call this church. And we're going to ask him to just, in the midst of our prayer, in the midst of our our, our seeking him, just to give us direction and clarity and understanding. So you respond now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.